This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK8. And also by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help move us toward the Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me as he is every week is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, uh, I, I noticed there on the screen that you're still the Breen domain. How long are you going to be hanging out with the Breen? We did that show ages ago. Well, Chris, uh, the thing about the Breen is, is that once you go Breen, you just can't go back. And uh, <laughs> is that what so, it is? Yeah, it's really that's what it is. And see, I've I've created my own little section of the Breen, hence the Breen domain. And oh, okay. I just really like being the guy in charge. I I don't know, Chris. I I can't lie about that. So there is the Breen Confederacy, I believe, is what they're actually called, right? And you're the Breen domain. Exactly. So you're you're yeah. like you're like West Virginia or something, right? You kind of broke off and uh, you want to be your own thing. I, I'm more. I, I like to think us more as Texas. You know, we're our <laughs> yeah. We're we're independent. We're our own thing. Um, we don't need you. We don't need your big okay. country and your fancy currency and whatnot. No, we're the Breen domain. That's that's really interesting. Now I'm picturing in the Breen domain the currency. How do you tell different denominations apart? Because they've all got the same helmet on. They're like different people from Breen history, but they're all wearing the same helmet. Well, see, that's one of the the benefits of being in the Breen domain is that we created a currency that was easier to use. And we did it by giving colored helmets. So, you know, (laughs) um, we did a little bit of differentiation. Um, Actually, the helmets weren't really colored at all. They're all the same person. We just photoshopped the helmets, um, but we did it fancy <laughs> Star Trek style. Very nice. Okay, I, I really like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this also reminded me. I tweeted the other day that I'm starting to understand the Breen. If I had one of those refrigeration suits, I would never come out of it. <laughs> so. You know, I yeah. can understand. I mean, recently it's been over a hundred here for for a while, and then finally today I woke up. I walked outside my door, got in the car. It was beautiful this morning. It was beautiful most of the day. Didn't get out of the low eighties at all. That does not happen very often in August here in Texas. So 
Yes, the brain domain is is experiencing a cool front, and we're enjoying it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, we don't really have any news about books and comics this week, which is kind of unusual. Usually, there's you know at least a couple of things, but we've kind of covered everything the past couple of weeks. And uh, so, the one item that we do have today is ongoing number twenty four, which dropped and which we've read. So for the new segment today, we're going to discuss ongoing 24 a little bit, and then we're going to go into the feature where we're going to stick with comics and we're going to talk about Nero. So Matthew, uh, we had a kind of an interesting little chat off the air here about the Gorn. Let's jump into ongoing number 24 and uh, see what we think about this. Well, first, Chris, I thought that uh, this this issue is going to be called the saliva incident, um, but <laughs> it it's not. Be. On a serious note, though, um, have you played the video game Star Trek, the, the newest one that came out? Yeah, you know, I have the video game and I started playing it and I've never actually finished it because I've just been too busy and I can't get time on the TV in there to actually play with PlayStation but I have played enough that I do know what they're talking about in the comic in terms of the Gorn coming through and the Helios array and this stuff. So I am familiar, at least with the setup of the story. See, that's something that I'm not. I haven't played the game uh, yet. And I was a little disappointed because, you know, uh, on the art page that tells you who it's written by, everything like that, they usually give you a synopsis. And it just says the story so far, which is the things that we've just seen on New Vulcan with Ponfar and Spock and all that, I was really disappointed that instead of doing that, that they didn't give you a synopsis of what had happened in the video game. Because for fans like me, I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. And, I mean, I will yeah. sometime. It just... So there's things about the story that I know I'm missing because I'm, I'm... I mean, I can tell they come from the game, but I don't really know the full backstory. So I was a little disappointed just in the fact that they didn't set that up in the comic yeah. itself for you. Yeah, I mean, you didn't miss that much. I, I think that the little exposition that's in here where they talk about, well, the last time we saw the Gorn, they had entered our galaxy through a rip in space-time caused by the Helios device. It's pretty much all you really need to know about it. So, Okay, well, I guess that makes me feel better. In my opinion. <laughs> so on that topic, before we jump into it, I wanted to ask you a question about the messy terminology. I, I feel like in the Abrams verse, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose to kind of be playful about how TOS would always talk about how they've just entered our quadrant and things like that before the Star Trek universe really got settled in about the four quadrants and how the sectors work and all that. But on page 11, the part that I just quoted, they say the Gorn entered our galaxy through the rip in space-time. If they found a new way to get here from their sector, I mean, are we just throwing words out now? The, the prime timeline and the Abramsverse take place in the same galaxy, not different galaxies. I don't quite get where... And this comes up elsewhere in the Abramsverse too. There seems to be a lot of confusion on the part of Roberto Orsi about what a galaxy is and what a timeline is and what a sector is. Well, yeah, I can I can understand the frustration there, and um, I'm wondering if they just enjoy throwing out big words, you know, like I guess it sounds like science fiction. Exactly. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and so, 
the fact that we, you know, we would think of, yeah, the way TOS deals with the idea of a sector and um, the galaxy and the quadrant, all of those things were just interchangeable. It seemed like, you know, for whatever the writer had come up with. And then of course the next generation really tones that down and changes the idea and puts space into a, you know, actual space time map that we kind of understand. And so, well, it's understandable and I completely forgive the original series for having this kind of crazy terminology for a couple of reasons. One, it was written in the 1960s and our understanding of space and and physics and everything was different then. It wasn't as mature as it is now. And also, they they were creating Star Trek for the very first time, so they were just making this stuff up. And it obviously it takes time for that to settle in. But at this point, you know, it's pretty well established in the Star Trek universe how all this stuff works. And so, it it kind of it's sort of an issue that I have with the Abrams verse that. I often feel like they're writing action sci-fi generic thriller and they're not writing Star Trek when they do things like this. Yeah, it is a little bit interesting that, um, I don't know, I guess I'm just looking at page 11 and, and what Kirk says, you know, that they had, they entered our galaxy through a rift in the space time caused by the Helios device and they found a, new way to get here from their sector maybe their sector of the universe but kirk doesn't get to finish his statement so that would make sense like i guess uh, yeah it's just that you know i can understand like they come in through a rift from the prime universe into the alternate the abrams universe but they're not galaxy hopping so anyway let's jump into the rest of the comic here so what did you feel about uh, as you started out reading this, besides all the saliva that was dripping down your <laughs> iPad screen? Um, I did I did really like just, uh, I thought it was really interesting to talk about the idea that, uh, you know, as a captain, you have these things happen to you, um, and they have an, a really, you know, they have an impact on you emotionally. You know, Kirk having these kind of bad dreams really stresses the fact that, you know, things happen to a captain. And it has a big impact on their psyche. Um, and uh, so you, his experience with the Gorn from, you know, what you would have seen at the video game has had a really big impact on him and, and kind of fomented his nightmares into something very tangible, which is, you know, yeah, the Gorn. And, and I think that's, I don't know, I think that's kind of cool. We didn't really get to see that much, you know, except for the few times that, a captain was really affected by something like Picard and the Borg. Um, you yeah. know, it comes to mind as one of the very few times. Yeah, to Paul and the zombie Vulcans. Yes, you know, she well, had a lot of yeah. Nightmares after that experience, right? You know, so yeah, you know, but we never saw Kirk really have nightmares about his son being murdered, um, even by right. Klingons, except for I guess in Star Trek Six, where you can see that it's really affected him because he says, you know, I've never trusted Klingons and I never will. I can never yeah, forgive them for the death the of my boy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but this was just, I thought this was a, a powerful, good start to the, to, to the comic personally. Yeah. Well, and I think it also, you don't realize it until you get to the end, but I think him having these nightmares and the feelings that he's having about the experience with the Gorn sets up nicely how he reacts 
in the middle of the comic and then how he reacts at the end. And it, it highlights one theme that I see, and I think they did a good job here of, of capturing this over the course of just 24 pages, where they actually show that growth in Kirk and the maturity in Kirk that comes from both the experiences prior to Star Trek Into Darkness and then also what happens to him in the film. And we're starting to see a Kirk that's better equipped to explore space and to cope with the uh, different races and cultures and situations that he's faced with. You know, he he's actually growing a lot faster than Shatner's Kirk did in the original series. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, this Kirk is growing by leaps and bounds each film. And then, you know, you get into these comics and he's doing the same. And so uh, I think that's one of the things that makes these comics such an enjoyable read is that um, you actually are getting to see the characters progress so that by the time you watch the next film, they really have changed. And, you know, you could even tell that um, I think a lot that Kirk was in a, in a metamorphosis stage in Into Darkness so that by the time you get to the end of the film... No matter how you feel about the end of the film, you can tell that the character himself is growing and changing and becoming different. So uh, it's good work. Yeah. And I like it because it it makes the comics important, I think, to read. It it gives them validity for existing than just being, oh, we're just throwing some comics together and you can read them or you can not read them. No, I think if you're a fan, these really add to the films. Yeah, well, that's one thing I wrote in the review of Star Trek Into Darkness that I just had to do for a magazine here in Japan. And it was a capsule review and, you know, it's to get people to go see the film. So I couldn't give away a lot of details. And I was not allowed by Paramount to say that John Harrison is kind. (gasps) You (laughs) Spoiler alert, everyone. I'm so sorry, Chris. Come on. You know, you know, it's so funny. Star Trek.com is running the news stories today about, Star Trek Into Darkness premieres in Japan. And and I was thinking, you know, I haven't covered this on Trek FM. And some people might be wondering why, because I'm in Japan and I'm not writing news <laughs> stories about it. And I thought, you know, it's kind of because it's such old news. The movie's been out for so right. long. Who cares at this point that it's opening in one more country? So it's just, it's, of course, everyone here in Japan does care because they can go see it now. But it just feels like such old news at this point. Poor Um, Japan. But anyway, what I did write in the review, though, was that they spent two years setting up the plot of the film in the comics. And that although you can watch the film without reading those, people who have read the comics will get a lot more out of the story as a result of it. Precisely. Yeah. So as I go through here, uh, a couple of little things I noticed, the continuation of the fact that there are Orions and Starfleet in the Abrams verse. I noticed that, yeah. There's an Orion, a male Orion, uh, not a slave girl Orion. I guess they're not slave girls if they're enrolled in the academy. That's true. I I don't don't think you can call them slaves. Um, They should do, like, a Starfleet should have, like, an Orion slave girl outfit that's a uniform, so it's colored you know, by division, and it has the little braids on it for the rank and and such, but otherwise it's just like an Orion slave girl. I'm sure Uhura would love that. (laughs) Sure. But I saw that, and also uh, in this comic, I I finally, I have my Leffler of the Abrams verse, and it's Zara, 
Oh, nice. Very nice. Yes. I think Zara cut her hair in this comic. The last time we saw her was, was it the Galileo 7 comic, maybe? It's been I a think while. you're no, right. No, it was yeah. the Operation Annihilate. Oh, okay. Back, yeah. Actually. There you go. Yeah. No, yeah. She's definitely, uh, she's definitely a looker. I, I can attest to that. So <laughs> if you, if you want to see Chris's new Leffler, you need to get this comic. You know what I also really enjoyed was the just the artwork of this planet that they go to, that it's just really vivid, um, and it, it yeah. looks very alien. You know, it looks jungly by our standards, but at the same time, it looks really alien, and I, I always love in comics when they just kind of ramp things up because they can. You know, you, you're not having to CGI something. You just draw it, and it, it looks realistic, and I just didn't, I always enjoy when they let their imaginations go wild with yeah, uh, just, a planet just go wild. yeah yeah and it's good too because on television because they have to shoot on earth right right you know the the plants and the trees and everything on every m-class planet are always typically green but in reality you know plants could be any color plants could be black even just depending on the type of star the planet is orbiting and how those plants have to utilize different parts of the spectrum to conduct photosynthesis. So so yeah, it's nice when they, they have this option in the comics to actually create alien environments. And I really like just the the story here. Um, I, I think for a second I was really worried that we were just going to go down the road where they were going to remake Arena um, yeah. with with Kirk. And I, I, I actually thought that. I thought, oh no, he's going to beam down to this planet and he's going to be the only one who gets beamed down because everybody won't be able to beam down with him and it's going to turn into arena just the redo and then no they gave us a whole new story and i was just a really appreciative of that um that they really are trying i think at this point to chart their own course in the abrams verse than just kind of relying on you know like we did in the last series the after darkness was just very much we'd kind of seen that before um, yeah. And it wasn't really anything all that new except for all the intrigue going on behind the scenes, which honestly should have just been the entire comic series after Darkness. It should have been, yeah. <laughs> but at least this one I felt like, okay, this is a new story. This is something different. I like that. Well, speaking of redoing Arena, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that as well. And But of course, this comic focuses on the Gorn. And I was happy by the end of this comic that they did something interesting with the Gorn because I have not liked the Abrams verse take on the Gorn. I don't like the styling of the Gorn in the Abrams verse. I, it doesn't seem real to me. I mean, this is a problem that I have with science fiction movies where creatures from outer space are coming to eat mankind because I, I think that any race that has developed space travel warp technology, any race that has matured to the point where they have the technology to take to the stars isn't going to still be a race of of animals and creatures with giant claws and fangs and drooling all over the place. It just they just don't go together. Wait, 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 wait. You're you're discounting the Voyager episode Distant Origins with the dinosaurs? But those dinosaurs weren't like these Gorn. Those dinosaurs actually acted like an intelligent, evolved, sentient species. <laughs> these see, Gorn yeah. 
are like the Godzilla from the mm-hmm. 1998 remake of Godzilla, only smaller. You know, I I kind of got that feeling. But at the same time, um, I felt like I was getting that that was the Gorn in the, the video game that they created. And that oh, they were, it was. Yeah. yeah and that these yeah, yeah. Gorn were actually different. And so I'm with you. I liked that where they bring the Gorn, that they make them seem like they're the monsters just from in outer space, where they turn them into a more intelligent species that is looking for something different. I mean, yeah, that, but I mean, physically, they are the Gorn from the video game, but that they're yeah. the, the Gorn that we see at the end, who mm-hmm. actually don't want to just go around killing everyone all right. the time anymore. They're still the same Gorn. I mean, physically and all, they're still the same Gorn. Yeah, and so. I guess I don't have a problem with the physicality because, I mean... Everybody looks too human to me in Star Trek anyway. It's kind of stupid. So if you're going to do a comic, to me, you need to make things look alien. And the fact that these guys actually look yeah. alien is okay with me. Because, I mean, they they might be bipedal, but they're also very different. You know, you can tell they're yeah. a reptilian type species. You know, there's there's a lot of differences in them. I don't. I guess that part doesn't bother me. Maybe it's a little more star warsy than people might like in star trek but you know everybody looking the same except for some nose ridges or some head ridges is a little silly too so yeah well i agree on that too i don't know if it's star warsy it's just kind of like general sci-fi movie it's you know the the creatures from space kind of thing but (laughs) at any rate um you know as we go on here the gorn when kirk is finally able to talk to the gorn we find out that these Gorn are not part of the same clan. Apparently, these Gorn are part of the Naked clan because they don't wear any clothes at all. They don't have any cool tunics like an arena. They just walk around naked all the time. Yeah. Um, I think we just named the show, Chris, the Naked clan. <laughs> I guess so. They have no shame. <laughs> it, yeah. Um. They seem to be like other reptiles and uh, not, uh, you know, have anything extraneous that, you know, you would need to be hiding. So, <laughs> you know, why would you need clothes? Um, you know, I, I mean, guess I guess so. if we didn't have to wear clothes, would we really? I mean, they're kind of annoying. <laughs> so, Well, probably not in Texas. You'd be a lot more comfortable if you weren't yeah. wearing clothes, right? Uh, possibly. Well, let's not You'd go down cooler, that road. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe, possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but I did like, too, that who the enemy is here is just humans. And it reminded me a little bit yeah. of the end of, like, say, Ter- Terra Prime uh, and yeah. Enterprise, where humans are so afraid of, of what's happened to them. And I, I love that uh, Kirk says at the end, you know, the, the guy's talking to him and he says, uh, what's the point of having all this power if you're afraid to use it? And he's, Kirk says, you're asking the wrong question, Henderson. What's the point of all this power if you don't know how to use it? And I thought that that exactly. was a, you know, just a fantastic look at the, at, uh, you know, as, as Kirk talks about later, what Marcus did was, was something that uh, was try to misuse this power and let's try a different approach. And I really like seeing that Kirk is, you know, honestly, that's a really Picard type statement for him to make mm-hmm. uh, and, and not as Kirk 
like is even the original series. So I love the growth in this episode, or sorry, in this episode, I could say, with this issue of the comic for Kirk and really seeing them put together all the pieces of who this man is going to become. And I do have to say too, Chris, I really like the artwork for the Enterprise on the very last page as it's in warp. The way yeah. that they've done the nacelles, yeah, they're very streamlined. It looks yeah. so much better. I yeah, want this Enterprise in Star Trek Three, or yeah. whatever they decide to call it. Uh, this is this is an Enterprise that would make me want to buy the model. I agree. Yeah, as you know, everyone who listens to our shows for a long time knows <laughs> that I don't like the J.J. Abrams Enterprise design. Uh, yeah, this is a lot. It's a lot better design here. It, it has elements of what we've been seeing in the two films, but it also has a little bit more of what we're accustomed to in the TOS film. Yeah, it's you know, a that, good, uh, I think, uh, mashup of the remake or the refit and the original series Enterprise. Uh, it's yeah. it's very nice looking. So, well done by this artist. So, I guess just to sum up this issue, I. I started out really not liking it because of what I've already talked about with the Gorn. Then Zara came on and then I loved it. And then <laughs> as the story went on, <laughs> I, I, I really came to like this comic. I, I'm glad to see this kind of growth for Kirk and that they're actually, they're not just throwing 24 pages of stuff at us just for the sake of it, but they actually are continuing to develop the characters and they're they're building in a meaningful way on what happened to Kirk in Into Darkness. And so I really enjoyed this one. So Chris, if you have to give this one a rating, what would you give it? I'd give it eight new Zara haircuts. Ah, I knew there was going to be something Zara involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, I, I really liked this issue. You know, we, we both were disappointed in the issue that we got, unfortunately, um, for uh, After Darkness. I, I think we both just felt like those were lackluster in a lot of ways. And you, we spent the whole time waiting for them to do the political intrigue. And this issue, I started out trepidatiously like you because I was worried that they were going to turn this into a remake of Arena. And I was not wanting to see that at all. And they did not. They, they definitely went their own way. They told us a new story I thought was really good, building really well, I think, off of what we saw in Into Darkness, even more so than After Darkness does, by showing us the character development of Kirk. And all in all, I think this is a fantastic issue. Uh, well done. Um, and, and especially, too, making the Gorn interesting and not just being something that comes to bite your head off. Exactly. So I, I was really thankful for that. So, you know, if I get to get this issue um, a rating, goodness, I'd have to say I'd give it eight out of ten sharp Gorn teeth. Oh, that sounds like a painful rating, Matthew. Well, uh, it sounds <laughs> like a painful rating, but the Gorn really like their sharp teeth. So I'm going to let that slide. <laughs> I thought maybe you, you were going to give it eight cups of Gorn saliva. Mm. You know, there is nothing like Gorn saliva. It really helps you sleep at night. So if you're having trouble sleeping, you just need like a quarter of an inch of Gorn saliva. Puts you right out all night. I have a feeling in the next movie when Kirk dies again, 
McCoy is going to bring him back to life by rubbing Gorn's saliva all over his wounds. <laughs> That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. And halfway through the movie, there's going to be the scene where McCoy, for no apparent reason, has a Gorn in sickbay with him, and he has the Gorn <laughs> drooling into a cup. Oh. And then they come back to it at the end. <laughs> Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a masseuse. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, that's it for Ongoing 24. But Matthew, before we jump into the neuro comics, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. They're the all-in-one platform that combines hosting and content management to make it simple for you to create your own space online. And that could be a blog, it could be a website, a portfolio, or an online store. I've been a Squarespace user myself for the past six years. I build not only my company's website, but Trek FM is built on Squarespace. I build websites for clients on Squarespace, and my personal blog is there as well. And you know, apart from the simple fact that the tools are really awesome, what I really like about Squarespace is that they are constantly improving their platform. They're adding new features, new designs, and even better support, which is amazing because they have the best support you're going to find anywhere, but they're always striving to improve that. And I love that about them. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, they're there for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And amazingly, that great support and all these amazing tools starts at just $8 a month. And if you sign up for the annual plan, you can even get a free custom domain name. So it's really an amazing service. And Matthew, why don't you tell everyone about three points about Squarespace that really show why it is the platform to choose when you want to create an online presence. Well, Chris, I think one that's really important to me is that Squarespace is design-focused. I don't know about you, but I really hate going to a website that everything is so cluttered, it's hard for me to be able to find anything. It's so overdone that I'm really missing, I think, what the website's meant to do, which is to give me whoever's doing this website their content. And Squarespace really helps you do that. Their, Their templates are extremely clean um, and they allow your content to take the focus of the website which is so important i mean you know if you're writing a blog or you're creating a store and, and showcasing your work art wise you really want that to be what stands out not the website itself uh, you you want it to be easy to navigate and to use and, and squarespace does that really well uh, and then of course if you're creating say a blog or some sort of store where you're selling your merchandise or any of those kind of things you're going to want to be able to connect your site to all the different accounts that are out there, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, all of these social network sites that really help you to be able to get your content out there. Squarespace makes that easy. You don't have to worry about that. It helps you link to all those accounts and be able to share very quickly what you're doing on your blog right away with your followers. And then for the most important thing, I think now these days, Chris, is that, you know, you have an iPad, I have an iPad, we both have iPhones. We tend to look up websites on those. Nothing is more frustrating than going to a website and having to try and navigate on especially your iPhone uh, or your mobile device and not having the website be responsive to the mobile design, but also have it be a smart mobile design so it doesn't feel watered down. It just feels like a better, easier-to-use website on your device. Squarespace does that perfectly. It has unique mobile designs so that 
every time somebody visits your site from, say, a phone or uh, some sort of iPad or some tablet or something like that, your site automatically scales to look beautiful on every device, which is, you know, really important, again, if you're trying to have your content take first stage. Most definitely. That's been a huge time-saving feature for me because I no longer have to worry about building one version for the desktop and one version for mobile. It's a, it's a great feature. And, you know, another great feature that they added recently is the e-commerce feature. So if you want to set up a shop and sell things, you can do that in just a matter of minutes, including the ability to process credit cards online, which is, of course, very important if you want to actually sell something and make it easy on your customers. So that's there now as well. And you can do all of this without any coding knowledge whatsoever. You can create a beautiful website, beautiful blog, beautiful store. You don't need to know how to code anything. But if you do love to code and you want to have complete, total control over every little aspect of your website and its code, you can do that too because Squarespace has a fantastic developer's platform that you can access. But don't take our word for it. Try this for yourself. We would love for you to go and find out firsthand why I build all my websites on Squarespace and why Trek FM is built there as well. Just go to squarespace.com to start a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Just enter your name and email address. And in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your website. If you already use a platform like WordPress, you can import your website from there. See how it's going to look on Squarespace. See how the Squarespace tools give you everything you need to create an exceptional website or blog. Then when you decide to sign up, and I know you're going to want to, make sure to use our offer code TREK8 to get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you choose the annual option, you'll also receive a free domain registration. So visit squarespace.com and use offer code TREK8. And we thank Squarespace for their support of TREKFM. And we thank you for supporting Squarespace. And that helps us bring this programming to you every week. Well, Chris, today we are going to do something kind of cool. We have been talking about that they are going to be doing the con comics in a, in a few weeks. Uh, we'll be getting that. It'll be starting and it'll be a four issue set of the background for con in the brand new Star Trek Into Darkness film. And so really filling in some of those gaps, what we've missed. Uh, the things that were alluded to in the film, but we didn't get to see. And so I thought it would be interesting, Chris, to go back uh, and look at the four-part comic book miniseries that IDW did about Nero. It started in August of 2009. It was written by Mike Johnson and the same creative team that had done the Countdown series. And, of course, was based on Star Trek, uh, where writers uh, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi uh, had written the film and actually, what's really interesting is that a lot of this comic series is based on some cut scenes that we didn't get to see in the film, and, and some people have seen. Yeah. And so you actually finally get to see how those would play out in real time. And so, Chris, looking at these comics, yeah, we both read them now. Just kind of an overall impression uh, after reading all four issues. What did you think? Okay, this is interesting. So, again... Off the air, we were talking about this a little bit and discovered that I think we, we might have a little bit of a different opinion about these comics. So let's explore this. I think that it did help to fill in the background of Nero, which was sorely needed because if you just watched the 2009 film, 
and you didn't read these comics, which is what happened to me the first time around. I did not read these before I saw the film. You're just kind of left with uh, Nero is a really weak cookie cutter Star Trek villain who's just there to make things a little bit difficult for our heroes, give them some problem, you know, to solve. And this comic helps to flesh him out a little bit. And it gives you some justification for why he's doing the things that he's doing. Although I'm not sure that it satisfies me in terms of it being a real justification worthy of what he's doing. And, and I feel like, I feel like he's still a maniacal villain who's just built on destroying the Federation without any true justification. What I thought after reading it was definitely that Nero went from being just the mustache twirling villain that you really don't understand completely any of his motivations uh, yeah. to being somebody who actually had some motivations and whether or not I completely bought everything, at least I feel like now, okay, this makes much more sense. And they do a pretty good job throughout each one of the issues of kind of reiterating that that Nero firmly believes that he is doing what he's doing in this timeline to preserve Romulus. And the best way to do that is to eliminate Vulcans and the entire Federation. And, of course, I'm thinking, you know, he would even go for the Klingons as well when he can. But that yeah. all of that would be taken away and, and just leave Romulus, you know, safe. Uh, and so... Yes, that's maniacal and crazy, but, you know, in the end, it's kind of Hitlerish. You know, you just want to control everything. <laughs> well, you know, you just said maniacal and crazy. So Exactly. Yes. So, so I, I can kind of buy that, <laughs> that he's been completely warped to this point. Um, and it, it, it doesn't seem so outlandish when, you know, we've had real world examples of people being this kind of crazy. Well, I guess... To that end, for me, there's. I'm not sure that they ever come down definitively on why he's doing what he's doing. Is he doing it because he cares about Romulus? Is he doing it because he wants to bring his wife back? You know, is he Anorax from Year of Hell? That's what you get a little bit of this feeling here. But 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 they're wishy washy. They keep flipping back and forth. Oh, it's because Romulus was destroyed. Oh no, it's because my wife is dead. And which is it? And is if, if it's both, then I understand that. But I never got the feeling that it was clear what it was. And I think his crew is a lot smarter than he is because his crew says, look, Romulus is still here. We can go home. And at the same time, if they know that the Hobus supernova is going to happen in 26 years, go home and tell the scientists that this is going to happen then you can save Romulus. You can save your wife. It doesn't all have to happen. But instead, he just wants to destroy the Federation and all the Federation planets, even though they had nothing to do with that supernova. Well, the it wouldn't happen in 26 years, though, Chris, because, I mean, the supernova happens how many years in the future for them? I mean... 
so I mean, because you're back here where Kirk is, and that happens after Nemesis. So you have what? Well, there's this other bit in here, and this is what also is confusing about the way this is written. 129 years. Okay. Well, I say 26 years because he's been waiting for Spock for 26 years. And then there's this line where Nero is talking to Spock, and Nero says that he remembers 129 years ago when I, I was hunting you down to get my hands on the red matter. And then Spock makes some kind of comment about 129 years ago, I was, you know, starting my Starfleet career and all kinds of stuff. And like, I think that in the minds of the writers, this stuff all makes sense. But they did a really poor job of writing it down on the page where it makes sense to you as the reader. That I'll give you. I'll yeah. I'll let you have that one. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't really completely caught that. Um, but what I what I got out of this so much was the fact that Nero completely believes in what he's doing, and parts of his crew don't. Um, and those that don't die. So yeah. Um, I, I did get that he is. He is definitely somebody who's com- become completely sold out to this idea that these things have to happen. If you don't believe that, then sayonara. Um, and uh, we will continue this mission whether you like it or not. Well, let me ask you another question about that, because this is the other thing that got me here, is they set this up that the, you know, the crew says we would be foolish not to take this chance to go back home. And Nero's determined, like you said, he believes in what he's doing. He's going to charge forward. Then he gets surrounded by 47 Klingon ships. And I'm not just making that number up. That's actually the number in the comic. And he says, we fight. If this is how it ends, so be it. And it made me feel like, okay, does Nero really care about this goal of saving Romulus and bringing his wife back? Because if so... My attitude wouldn't be, all right, to hell with it. I will fight all these ships. And if we die, eh, big deal. That, again, just seemed like a very short-sighted, he's not a very good leader. Yeah, that's probably another valid point towards that. Um, I, yeah, that, yeah, I can't even say anything to that, Chris. That's a really good point. (laughs) But I I think it does, what it does for me at least is just show that he's really unstable as well. Um, And, you know, some of the best villains in history uh, that we've seen are are people that are just completely unstable and not necessarily very good at, at, at thinking through things. You're talking about Doofenshmirtz on Phineas and Phil. Oh, exactly. He's not very good at thinking through things. No, he's really not. That's exactly who I was thinking about. Um, I was also thinking about <laughs> Pinky and the Brain and how they can never seem to create a plan that really even gets them out of that lab. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's what it, what it really made me think of too is that you know when they get to that point where there's the forty seven Klingon ships. Yeah. I I really almost do get the feeling that Nero realizes that he and the ship are invincible at that point, like that the yeah. the ship is. 
healed itself enough because as we know it has, it's partly borg technology and that there isn't going to be anything that's going to touch it in the same way that you know a borg cube destroys you know yeah that many you know, ships I, I, and so i just thought that was really interesting because yeah that's something that's alluded to in the in the countdown comics but you don't hear about it in the film at all and so you're just kind of wondering how this ship is so massive and big and and everything and yeah at least this comic does a great job of explaining what what is it about this ship that's special yeah, well, that's something I want to talk about as well. Uh, before we do that, I th- I guess I, I got a little bit confused here in terms there are actually two battles with the Klingons, and the one where he says that we fight, and if this is how it ends, so be it, is, I guess, the first time where he encounters Kor, and then they end up capturing him, and they put him in prison for 20 years on Ruripente. And then the second battle is the one with the 47 ships, where, like you said, he knows the ship is invincible, and so he destroys everyone, so... While we're on this topic, before we go to the Borg technology thing, because I did want to talk about that, what did you think about the use of Rurapente? Because, again, we, we know from cutscenes from 2009 that he was captured by the Klingons, so this isn't something new. But th- they, they flesh it out a whole lot more here in the comics and what he was doing while he was there and how long he was there. And and we get to see Koth again, you know, the kind of the, the one-eyed warden of Rupinthe who we see in the undiscovered country see that part i really do like in this comic i think it's really fun that they add all that in and they they finally kind of give an answer to to some of the things that are really difficult in the movie like how do you calculate when somebody's going to come through a wormhole yeah and and they cal- and they give you the answer that they there is this <laughs> there's this human there that has given them part of the answer but then tells yeah. them well we're we're never you you could never find this because there isn't a computer that has the power and then the answer to that was really interesting the fact that we go to Viger, which yeah. what a great surprise honestly i was like wow just throwing everything in the kitchen sink in here um well they were I, okay that's another topic I want to talk about as like a specific <laughs> section is the whole Veecher thing. So, um, yeah. But I, I really do. I, I thought it was great to see Rurapente and just the kind of the kind of terrible, terrible place it is. Like you know, we we've seen it a couple of times. You know, and and we saw it in, in Star Trek Six. Uh, we saw it in Enterprise. But it never really seems that bad. But this place seems <laughs> like doesn't. hell. You know, I mean. Nero's being tortured for for years upon years. I mean, he's having his head bit on by he has to targs. fight targs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's where targ he loses versus his ear. Nero. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, well, don't I, you feel in the undiscovered country that Ruapente feels a little bit like a Disneyland ride? It looks like the morbid version of It's a Small World. Yeah, like it's like the cart. Is yeah. is a ride like they exactly. line up for it and they get on and then and then you go through the little curtain and then you're in the Ruapente ride. Yeah, and every, it feels a little every bit world, like that. Yeah, the little aliens, everybody <laughs> singing, "It's a small world," ah, except it's yeah. it's a small galaxy after all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, but yeah, this just this place feels terrible and horrible and such a good job, I think, by the artist to really create a sense of of, yeah yeah, a menace into this place like you don't want to be at Rurapente it really does feel like the alien's graveyard 
Yeah, which is what they called it, right? Exactly. And, and here it feels more like that. Yeah, it does. I, I you know, th- this all this happens in part two. All the stuff in Ruapente, and one thing they talk about is that they, they should have killed Nero a long time ago, but they say that the profits from Ruapente have increased threefold since Nero and his crew were captured and brought there. And I thought, okay, well, since when did the Klingons care about profit? You know, are Ferengi operating Rupente? It just seems like the Klingons, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I'm actually kind of glad to see it because one of my complaints about Klingons in Star Trek is that they are too cardboard, that we, we rarely get to see that Klingon society is a multifaceted society. It's not just warriors all the time. And, and we know it's not like that. And we do get to see that on occasion, but for the most part, all we ever get to see is the warrior clan, the warrior side of Klingon society. And like I was talking about with the Gorn, when we were talking about the ongoing comic in our, our news segment today, any society that's just purely a warrior society, as we see the Klingons, would never really reach the point that they have in terms of technology. So I don't think... Personally, I'm sure some listeners will argue that point with me, but here we get to see that, yeah, they're a little bit different, so it's fine. Well, and I, you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of like that personally because, I mean, can you really be a high-ranking Klingon if you're sent to run just this planet that's ice? I mean, your only job is to make sure <laughs> dilithium is mined. I mean, you know, so really all you have for honor is whether or not you're producing enough dilithium to create a profit, so... Uh, it does, I think, create a good sense of like, this is what this kind of Klingon would be like, you know, um, in the same way that in Judgment, you know, you saw that there was a different kind of Klingon. It was, he was a, he was a lawyer. He was a scholar. He was somebody who cared right. about honor in a different way than just, well, I'm going to chop your head off because I feel honorable if I do that. Yeah. I think what happened is the, the Koth brothers, they got caught doing something bad. And their punishment was that Koth was sent to Rapinthe to manage the facility there. And his brother was sent to Nimbus 3 to be the Klingon ambassador to Nimbus 3 and Star Trek 5. Both like the, the, the two worst possible posts for Klingons. <laughs> oh, talk about dishonoring your family. Goodness. Nimbus 3 and Rapinthe, huh? Their dad just washed the, his hands of them. Uh, you just, yeah. I don't have any sons. Oh, goodness. So can we talk about this whole Borg and V'ger thing? When when I get to part three, it says the edge of the Delta Quadrant. And my first reaction is, God, the edge of the Delta Quadrant, again, because you remember we had that scene early on in the ongoing comics where they're in a bar in a remote corner of the Delta Quadrant, but there are Cardassians and Ferengi and all the familiar Alpha Quadrant races working in the bar. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on, Chris. Uh, of course. It doesn't matter. Um, this galaxy <laughs> is small. You know that. The Enterprise is always the only one in the Quadrant anyway. So, so yeah. So, so here I'm thinking, is this a typo again? But... You know, then they get into this whole kind of interesting thing here where the well, they escape Rapinthe because 
the Narada has somehow come to life. Now we know that the Narada has this organic element or, or something to it where it grows its parts back. And the Klingons are talking about how they've been studying this ship for all these years. And every time they take it apart, it just grows its parts back. And then the Narada seems to kind of come to life. It attacks Rapinthe and Nero's able to escape and they go off and the Narada sets its own course and it takes them somewhere. And you're thinking, well, it's figured out where Spock is going to come through and through the black hole. And it set a course for that. But no, it set a course for another familiar entity in the Star Trek universe. And that's V'ger. And I want to know what you think about this, because earlier when you said that they're just throwing everything in the kitchen sink out here, that's exactly what I felt like. They talk about how they suggest that V'ger, the Borg, and the Narada are all ultimately the product of a single ancient civilization. And that these are three different pieces of sentient technology that have come to life and they're trying to find each other. Well, Chris, I was not surprised uh, because it comes straight from uh, William Shatner's book, The Return. Yeah. That V'ger is, uh, had actually run across the Borg um, and it slipped yeah. through a wormhole, ended up in the Delta Quadrant. The Borg had found it, given it a new purpose. And right. so I have seen that idea before and therefore I didn't really have a problem with it then and I don't really have a problem with it now. But now, but now you're throwing the Narada in here as well. Yes. Now, uh, when I throw the Narada in there, I'm thinking that, okay, it makes sense because the Narada is based on Borg technology. Borg are the ones who found V'ger. They are related somehow. It, that, I mean, they're they're I second I, cousins, Matthew. Yeah, uh, twice removed, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, their mother and, and it's, it's some. Let's don't some get into that. We're both from yeah. the south. Let's not get into that. Yeah, eh, we could be here a long time. Um, <laughs> so I guess it didn't really bother me too much because I, I've seen it before already in in, in novelizations. The thing that um, actually bothered me more than that was this idea that Nero and them have found the fact that they are telepathically linked and somehow Nero's telepathically linked though with a Narada as well that yeah. part makes absolutely no sense whatsoever <laughs> I can buy the fact that the Narada and the Borg and V'ger they're all related somehow because they're all machine things and somehow it all works together that makes complete sense actually but Nero and the Narada having a mental <laughs> you know, bond does not make yeah. any sense. So well, it's all about the drugs, Matthew. You know, you, you go from oh, yeah. well, having a latent telepathic ability that's kind of dormant in your race, the Romulans, but it comes from your Vulcan ancestors. Then you get thrown in prison for 20 years and you start taking drugs to help yourself cope with being in prison for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result of the drugs, hmm. suddenly you can communicate with your crew members, by telepathy and your spaceship. This isn't Orange is the New Black, Chris. And this <laughs> is this is Star Trek. Yeah, that part, the whole like him being a drug addict and everything uh, with 
it, that part just doesn't make sense to me at all. The only thing that it really does do, I think, is that it really just makes this guy completely unstable, completely crazy, so that by the time you get to the film and you watch it, you're like, okay, yeah, this guy is fracked up. He's been doing drugs. He's been talking to a ship. Yeah, he's been to see V'ger. We know what happens when people see V'ger. <laughs> and so it's it's not hard to imagine that this guy has not got his head on straight. Yeah. I I don't know. The V'ger thing for me... Uh, now, I enjoyed the artwork part of V'ger. Yeah, the artwork is fantastic, actually. And it was fun to see V'ger again. I just thought that... I don't know. It's one of those things where I think it's one thing to take threads from past Star Trek and work them into the Abrams verse and, and make them work. And of course, you know how put off I was by the the ripoff of the Wrath of Khan and the, the engine room scene and all that stuff. I felt here like this was a case where they just thought, you know, oh, why don't we just grab V'ger and let's put V'ger into the comic, and it'll be cool. And Nero talks to V'ger. It's like there's no justification. Well, for see, me that's there. where I think that I liked the V'ger part because when they said they needed something so big, and they had no idea what kind of computer could compute what they yeah. needed to compute, and so V'ger can though. I mean, it's ginormous. So yeah. the f the fact that they need something larger than anybody's ever thought of or even thought possible. And the Narada thinks of V'ger, that part yeah. okay, I was like, oh, okay, this that's kind of cool. That's a great connection. The part that I just didn't like was the fact that Nero's taking drugs and melding with V'ger and uh, well, that part yeah, and, I didn't love. And how how does the Narada, in the course of a comic book, get from Rurapente to the edge of the Delta Quadrant? Slipstream. I guess that that's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense. I, and I thought of that. I'm like, well, okay, it's got poor well, technology. I, yeah. Maybe they have slipstream, but but still, it's it's one of those things where it's just all too convenient. Well, like, I let's mean, let's just grab threads to make our story work, and it doesn't matter if yeah. they make sense or not. Travel in the JJ verse takes like 20 minutes. I mean, you know, you can get to the Klingon homeworld in 30 minutes from Earth. So, exactly, I mean, yeah. it you know the the. The warp technology here seems to be a lot different. Uh, you, you go really fast. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, Ricky Bobby in the, the legend of the Talladega Nights. You know what I'm talking about? I want to go fast. I want to go fast. <laughs> well, everything in the Abramsverse goes fast. Uh, really and so, <laughs> and you know, I don't have a pro I'm not one of those Star Trek fans who's so caught up on that stuff that I'm going to get all butt hurt about it being different in the Abramsverse. Uh, it's fine. Like if they have different technology there and, you know, that universe somehow the warp technology developed differently and they can travel further distances in shorter time. That's fine. You know, I don't have any problem with that. I just, I don't know. I guess as a Star Trek fan, though, I'm accustomed to them being able to tell a story over the course of time so that this stuff feels like it's explained and we kind of understand the background of it. And here it's just so out of the blue it's so like well if we stick to what we've had before our story won't work so let's just change it and that's something that i would be fine with it if it were a different if it weren't star trek if it were another science fiction story 
I feel like in the Star Trek universe, you have to play by the rules a little bit more. And I know it's a comic book, but this is more than a comic book. This is part of the broader story, the broader Abramsverse story. One of the things that's really nice, though, Chris, is they did answer where Delta Vega is in reference to Vulcan and the fact that Delta Vega, yes, is in the same system as Vulcan. That is why you can see what happens but um, so. they didn't answer the question of what is Delta Vega because the problem is that Delta Vega, Vulcan cannot be that large in the sky of a planet orbiting the same sun because the gravitational forces well, of those that, two planets that, just that wouldn't part allow is true. it. Yes, yeah. that part is true. That was probably just some artistic license. Uh, well, it was artistic license, but again... I think that uh, you you can't insult the audience too much, even when you take artistic <laughs> license. And I think that's what that is true. JJ did with the whole Delta Vega thing in 2009. Yeah, that part's a little true. Um, yeah. So, you know, they finally get Spock and they put him on Delta Vega. and Yeah. Yeah, it sets up the movie. Uh, I love getting to see the fact that Narada just, just, just annihilates this, you know, uh, this Klingon horde of ships just totally yeah. disintegrates them all. Uh, is fantastic. You know, of course, we hear about that in the film too, and so actually getting to see it was is pretty awesome. Even just here in, in the comic, it's 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 really well done artwork here. Um, I, yeah, I really do like it. And uh, you know, they drop off Spock, and he is left, of course, to be where he's going to be in this uh, the film when we meet him and. Nero is is headed off to destroy uh, Vulcan, and so well, you know, Nero comes off as a little bit of a sweetheart at the end, though. You know, he he maroons Spock on Delta Vega, but he also gives him enough supplies for about three weeks, and then tells him that there is a Federation outpost nearby where you can get some more help if you need it. So, yes, I do think that Nero's thinking he's going to get eaten by one of those nice big red monsters as he walks there. So I don't think he's necessarily doing him any favors by telling him that. Uh, I think he's just hoping he's going to get eaten. <laughs> but he left him some supplies for three well, weeks. Yeah, though. yeah. I mean, so. you know, three weeks. What? Uh, apparently he needs three weeks to get to Vulcan from Delta Vega. It's pretty far. <laughs> Which, of course, Vulcan is like filling the entire sky of Delta Vega. But apparently it's going to take this ship that went from Rapinthe to the edge of the Delta Quadrant, just like that, it's going to take them three weeks to get over to Vulcan and drill a hole. So just don't ask about time and how long it takes to do things. The problem is, is that, you know, warp is really, really fast, but the impulse engines (laughs) in the JJ verse suck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're terrible. They're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So on a whole, Chris, you know, Going through final thoughts, rating for <laughs> Star Trek Nero. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I tell you, I don't know, Matthew, really. I This comic, it was nice to get a little bit of a background to why Nero is doing what he's doing in the movie. I just, unlike Countdown to Darkness, and I know this is not the Countdown series, equivalent for 2009 there was that other series just called countdown but in terms of what we've gotten so far and we'll have to find out what they do with the con comics which of course is why we decided to talk about Nero this week anyway 
The Countdown to Darkness comics, I thought, did a really nice job of setting up why things were happening in that movie. I don't really think that this comic does a very good job of setting up why Nero is doing what he's doing in 2009. I think that they try to give you justifications for it, but I don't think that the justifications make enough sense to validate what he's doing. And I don't know, I just kind of, I come away from this comic saying, okay, I can see why this has upset him. I can see why he's doing this. And oh, here's how he found out how to find Spock. But the way we get those answers, I think, are so far-fetched that it's it's a lot of fanboying. You know, some people complain about season four of Enterprise having too much fanboying going on. And and I feel like in this comic, there's too much fanboying going on with the Borg and with Viger and with Rapinthe. And some of it works for me. Some of it doesn't. Uh, I think the artwork is quite nice. I think the writing is... I actually wrote at the end of part two, I wrote down, this just feels like a rough outline of a concept. What the hell is going on here? Because I feel like in the (laughs) minds of the writers, there's a lot more to this and it makes sense to them. And they're just not doing a very good job of getting it down on the page. And we know that they can do better at getting the story down on the page because we've seen it in other ongoing comics that have come after this, which are ultimately part of the same series. So if I'm going to give this a rating, I'm probably going to give it four ambiguous time references. Awesome. I like it. Um, Chris, I think I liked this quite a bit more than you did. I I felt like watching the film now, if I were to go back and watch 2009 Space Adventure, I would enjoy it more. Uh, in seeing Nero, um, I, I feel like I would know a little bit more about his background, why he's doing what he's doing. I, I, it's not complete. It's not perfect. But I, I like that finally I have some answers to some things about, you know, his convictions and, and all that. I like the artwork in this uh, a lot. I think the artwork is really good, um, especially the great big battle scenes between the Klingons, the Narada. It's fantastic. Uh, the artwork at Repente is really w- well done. So that really drew me in. Um, you know, the things you pointed out were are all valid. I, I still think that this is something that if you enjoy 2009 and you just wanted some more of that, you wanted to see some background in there, I think this is a good read. I think it's well worth reading. It was only $7.99 as the an entire booklet form uh, on your iPad or you know, something like that. So it, it really wasn't even that expensive anyway. And I just enjoyed it. So, you know, if I was going to give this a rating, I'd probably give it uh, seven out of 10 drug vials. Um, yeah, seven out of 10 drug vials. So. Wow. You're into teeth today. You're into drug vials today. It's just that kind of day, Chris. It's a Thursday. <laughs> just a slow Thursday for me. So this is how Thursdays are. Okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little crazy here in Texas. All right, Matthew. Well, this has been interesting talking about Nero, no doubt, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about this week on Trek FM. So here are some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb, The Marquee, 
But then he tells Eddington, I'm going to do this to all the other Maquis planets as well. And it's, you you don't F with the Cisco is basically what we get to here. <laughs> <laughs> do not frack with the Cisco. <laughs> exactly. The ready room. The Q and the gray. Well, there's, there's kind of two sides to his guide to romance, though, because while we do see his uh, futile attempts with Catherine Janeway, there's also the interaction he has with the female Q, which I found be much more interesting. Decade. STO Foundry, Alpha Flight. It's quite light. The main thing is you get to fly around, test your flying skills, and test your ability to withstand Hold combat. I think we failed in that sort of <laughs> But let's just ignore that. To the journey! Life on Voyager. Well, I'm just saying oh. there was a certain, you know, there was a time period when the Doctor was, you know, like a Ken doll. So that's all I'm saying. I would not be a Ken doll. <laughs> Let's put okay. it that way. Commentary, Trek stars. A stir of Beckos. And it's almost like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the way Unbreakable is structured, where he completes his arc and there's still this thing left over. Warp 5. Inside flocks is sick bay. Once Porthos had been Im- immersed in that uh, broth, it almost became like a master stock. Trek news and views. Trip Tucker. Some of those people are going to be like Trip. Some of those people are going to be completely driven by and influenced by that childlike sense of, I just want to see what's out there. Literary Treks. Star Trek reference books. Now, Philip, do you have these spread out? So, like in your workshop, are you trying to actually recreate a life-size replica of the Enterprise D? And what do your neighbors think about that? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows. We have new Trek talk for you every day of the week. Some days we even have two new shows for you, and you'll find them everywhere you get your podcasts. In iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. You can stream or download from the website. Plenty of places for you to get the shows, so check them out and enjoy a wide range of Star Trek talk every week. Now, Matthew, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on the Neuro Comics or on Ongoing 24. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to Matthew and me by email. If you'd like to join in the conversation in our forums with other listeners, you can do that at trek.fm slash forums. There is a section for comics. There's one for books. There's one for Literary Treks as well as many other topics, so go check that out. If you're on Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trekfm, and you'll always find us on Twitter tweeting away about Star Trek round the clock under username trekfm. Now, Matthew, what do people would like to look you up as well? What if they have questions about dentistry on reptiles or how to acquire files for various purposes? Where should they go? Well, Chris, one, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Matt Rushing02, you're gonna wanna follow me so I can follow you, so we can DM about this. We do not want to talk about this <laughs> on open Twitter. Uh That's right. you can also check out some uh, very special blogs on my own blog. I'll be blogging about how to pick up a gorn, uh, where to get the best um vials uh, at my own blog, uh 42 lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. So those will be the places to find me. Now, Chris, when you're not shooting back vials of your own special concoctions, where can we find you? Well, I'm also on Twitter, and you can find me there under username C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. 
And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username. And my personal website is using that name as well. That's cbrianjones.com, where I do talk about things other than Star Trek, believe it or not. So go check that out if you'd like to find out what that's all about. And you'll find me elsewhere on the network every week, of course, with you, Matthew, on The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine, on Warp 5 with Kate Walsh, where we talk about Enterprise, and on The Ready Room, where I'm joined again by you, Matthew, sometimes, as well as many other hosts from all over the Trek of Film Network and our special guests as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, the films, Star Trek news, and all sorts of topics. It's a lot of fun, so check that out as well. You can find all the shows at trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory. And Matthew, also, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, really anything you can imagine. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. So is my personal website, my company website. I build all my stuff there. I love it. And I know you will too. So go try it for yourself. Create your own space free for 14 days. You can use all the tools that Squarespace has to offer. And then when you sign up, you can get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using our offer code TREK8. So again, go to squarespace.com, use offer code TREK8. You're going to love it. And we thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and Trek FM. Also, please visit trekfan.org. I love talking about Star Trek. Matthew, I know you do too. But if we just sit around and talk all the time, you know, we're never going to get to that Star Trek future. And at trekfan.org, you have a chance to collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you're going to win great prizes too. So turn your love for Star Trek into something that can help us all move toward that Star Trek future. Support us, support TrekFan by visiting trekfan.org, solve that first puzzle, and take the next step on your adventure. And we thank TrekFan for their support of the network as well. And lastly, if you would personally like to support the network and our programming, we have a way for you to do that as well. You can go to trek.fm slash donate and you'll find eight new alien themed badges and art prints. And you know, those badges are perfect for your shirt, for your bag, for your dress uniform. And they're 44 millimeter badges that have original illustration by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the art that you see on our website. And those art prints are A5 size. They're much larger views of the aliens from the waist up. They're really, really beautiful work. And you can choose what you want. You can mix and match the badges and the art prints. There are different levels that you can choose from. And your contributions help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring this programming to you every week. So please go check those out at trek.fm donate. And we really appreciate your support of Trek FM. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining us today. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that, light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>